Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Trevor. Uh, I don't get a lot of introductions, so that was really nice. Uh, my favorite part is when you made the joke about rejoicing that you weren't preaching and people were legitimately like, okay, yeah, that's, that, is, that is good news. Uh, <laughs> that's really funny. Hey, if you got your Bibles, do this for me. Go ahead and open up to the book of Mark, chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to spend um, uh, the bulk of our time this morning. And what a privilege it is to be able to kick off your guys' missions conference. I love how Pastor Matt said it. Matt, we, we don't just talk about missions during this month. We, we emphasize missions during this month because I know the heart of Calvary Baptist Church because I know the heart of your leaders, uh, of your staff, of your elders here, of the fantastic group of volunteers that God has given you. And the heart of this church is to be able to reach the nations with the glory and joy of God. Amen? Yeah. Are you guys ready for one of those sermons that you're going to have to talk a lot? Yeah. Just mentally prepare. I know you are. I, do, I knew you were. I remember you from last time I was here, and I'm pumped that you're back, which is awesome. Okay. What's your name? Candy. Candy, I'm AJ. It's really great to meet you. But, but, but uh, listen, like, like we're going to be engaging together today in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in thinking through not just what does the gospel say for Calvary, but, but what does the gospel applied to Calvary mean for Calvary? And, and that's really the focus of a missions conference like this. We, we've got to think through what is the mission that God has called, not just the church to, but also by extension, it's individuals, right? Because the individuals make up this amazing church. Uh, the, the mission statement if you will, for every evangelical church in the New Testament is given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? It rhymes with great to mission. Do you know it? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now think about this with me, okay? Because the, the message title today is multiplication is the mission. Multiplication is the mission. It's my hope that I'm not going to convince you of this from eloquent speech because we're way past that if we're being honest. I want to convince you of this because this is exactly how Jesus operated, how the miracles of Jesus illustrated this, and how the apostles taught after Christ's resurrection. The multiplication is the mission for Every believer, and by extension, then the collection of believers, which is his church. But when you, we're called to go out and make disciples, how do we know we've made disciples? Well, here's a quick litmus test. You know that you've made a disciple when they themselves are then making disciples. And then the disciples that they make are making Are you guys bored? Come on, you got to wake up. Come on. Come on. I know that we're Baptists and we got the non-denominational guy here, but come on. Come on, I will get on this floor, okay? We'll, just, we'll progressively get lower and lower. But like, you, you know that multiplication is happening when you've made disciples who then are making disciples who then make disciples. And generationally speaking, what we see is the focus of your ministry was never a single church. The focus of your ministry was an amazing Savior who called you to make disciples and call the people to understand their sin and their desperate need for a savior and his sufficiency to do so. And then that happened to other people and that happened to other people. And this is an additive. This is an additive. This is 
exponential multiplication in the kingdom. That was a pretty compelling introduction, but the question that you should be asking, and the reason that I love this church, is because you've been trained by an amazing pastor and Pastor Matt to not care what a guy says. You're trained to be able to say, this is the question that should be in your head. Where's that in the Bible? Is that, is that, ask me, ask me. Ask me like you mean it. Mark 6, good question, good question. I'm really glad that you're here. It's, it's there in multiple places. It's there in multiple places, uh, but one of the places um, that's, that's most easily seen, and maybe if you've grown up in church like I did for most of my life, uh, this is a story that you probably heard thousands of times. I, I mean, a, a lot of times, and I never really thought about why it's there. I never really thought about why it's here. In Mark 6, we see the feeding of the, how many people were there? The 5,000. I mean, that's, that's a lot. I don't know how many people you have coming over for dinner uh, after church, but this is a lot. Mark 6, uh, Mark 6 is showing us the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to start in verse 30. Start in verse 30. I've got three basic points about how we can tell if multiplication is not just a mission for the church, but if multiplication is the mission for our lives. And the question that I want every person to ask here at Calvary, that I've been praying uh, for over a month, that God, through the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the power of his word would allow you to ask and answer before you leave these doors. The question that I want you to ask is, is the mission of my life multiplying disciples? Is it? And not like give the church answer. Give the real answer. Mark 6, starting in verse 30, read with me. The apostles then returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done and taught. And he said to them, remember this, put a pin on this, remember, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no place, uh, no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, in the miraculous story of the feeding fi the 5,000, this point is often lost. It doesn't start with the miracle. It starts with obedience. One of the first questions that we have to ask ourselves if we're thinking about is multiplication my mission, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus Christ my example? Because when multiplication is my mission, Jesus is my example. When multiplication is my mission, that's point one if you can't tell. Maybe if you're a note taker, write that one down. By the way, I, 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 don't, I don't know who's in charge of the notes, Pastor Matt or Pastor Dan, I don't know who's in charge of I'm, I'm nervous. Our people get a full eight and a half by 11, front and back, note taking. My wife was like, hey, they get a bookmark. <laughs> like, don't, don't scare anybody. So, write small? I don't know what to tell you. Like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Point one is when multiplication is my mission, Jesus is my example. Now, historical context for a second. You're a Baptist church. I bet you love historical context. The, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal meaning that this, this is not just ink and paper, that this is inspired by God. 
Mark, is this mic on? This mic is on, right? People, okay, okay, let's try it again. I mean, that's, that's okay. Let's warm up emotionally, okay? Because this is an awesome place for an amen. We believe that this Bible is the Word of God. Amen. And when we say, oh, I love that. I love that, bro. When we say verbal, we mean words. When we say plenary, we mean how many of the words? All of them. All of them. There ain't one that isn't inspired by God. And when we say inspired, it wasn't like God was looking over the shoulder of Mark who wrote this book and was like, hang on, hang on. Oh, that's good. Keep going on that. Yeah, that's good. That, that's, not, that's not how it worked, right? That, that literally, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that, that, that God breathed out this word and through the personality and historical context of the day that Mark was written by the apostle Mark and was written down by Mark but was inspired by God. We believe that. Now, we believe that God inspired it. We believe that Mark wrote it. Let me ask you this. Who spoke it? Who spoke it? Peter. Did you know, you know what Mark's profession was? He literally was a transcriber for Peter. Peter would go after the resurrection of Jesus, and he would preach, and he would teach, and he would say, here's what, here's what Jesus taught me. And then here's what Jesus taught me. And here's what Jesus did. But here's the problem. B before Jesus got a hold of Peter's life, what was his profession again? He was, a, he was a what? He was a fisherman, right? And fishermen didn't have a high educational background, right? Like they, uh, they were a lot of times doing the family business. And we, we know from other letters that Peter wrote himself that the level of Greek that he wrote was some of the lowest, most elementary forms of Greek that we have. He, he couldn't keep up the pace to be able to write down everything that Jesus showed him and that Jesus taught. So he pulls aside John, or, or not John, John Mark, rather, and, and is like, hey, Mark, you're my guy. Write it down. So Peter goes and teaches what Jesus taught, and Mark's like, Ugh. and then Peter goes in the synagogue and teaches again, and he's like, Ugh. and he's writing, and he's writing, and he's writing. Now, here's the question. How did Peter know what to teach? Because Jesus taught him. Because Jesus was Peter's example. Peter wasn't getting on the synagogue and going, you know what, I came up with a new doctrine, I'm, I'm a pretty creative guy, and I've got some really fun new twists on the gospel. That's not, like, listen, if, if you're a creative person, I don't, by the way, I don't know who's in charge of all of the graphic design and artwork that you guys have like throughout all of your church, but that person is wildly creative, okay? Like, I'm all about that. That black wall with the painting and the joy thing, like, come on. Like, there's not going to be a family photo in front of that thing before we leave, okay? That thing's awesome. Creativity is unbelievable. I love forming something out of nothing. I love creative minds and how God wires that. That's awesome. Do you know where creativity isn't great? Theology. Oh, I've got a new idea that I'd like to see. But that, 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 that's not how theology works. Why? Because we follow the example of Jesus, not in just what we believe, but in what we teach. So even in the context of Mark 6, if you just flip your page maybe back to Mark 6, verse 6, 
Jesus is, maybe you've heard about this story too, Jesus is going into his hometown, he preaches the gospel. How does it go, by the way? How does it go? Have you ever preached in your hometown before? Have you ever taught someone in your hometown? They still remember what you were like when you were seven. It's hard to gain respect in that crowd, okay? That's what they were doing. Aren't you just, aren't you that kid from Mary and Joseph? Oh, oh, kingdom, that is so cute. Kingdom of heaven, that is so cute. Like, no, and he's frustrated. This is the only time that we see in the, in the Bible that Jesus is marveled. Look at verse six. And he being Jesus marveled because of their, say it, unbelief. I mean, there's, there's having unbelief and then there's making Jesus marvel at your unbelief, right? Not a great distinction. But what does he do after this? Look at verse seven. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He says, listen, the same way that I've been teaching and the same way that I've been discipling and the same way that I've been uh, healing people of unclean spirits, guess what? Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn, apostles. Now it's your turn, disciples. Ready, set, go. And how did they know how to heal? Because they had seen Jesus 11 times leading up to this uh, chapter in Mark 6, heal people miraculously. And then Jesus says, listen, you're, you're going to go out and you're going to teach. How did they know what to teach? Because in the chapters leading up to Mark 6, they've seen Jesus teach 11, or eight times rather. They saw it by example and they followed it. And here's what we see getting back to our text in verse 30. The example that we see, Jesus says, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. How do they know how to rest? How do they know how to get away? How do they know how to devote Sabbath time to be able to get right with the Lord? How do they know how to do that? Leading up to Mark 6, Jesus does it twice. And he's gonna do it a number of times after this. See, they're following Jesus' example. Loved ones, here's where the rubber meets the road. And I do believe that ministry is relational, and I wish I had more of a relationship with each of you individually, because I don't want the power of this question to be lost on you because of a lack of relationship. So if you'll just gain me a little grace for a moment, can I ask an all-in question? In a church this great and this impactful, I'm sure that we have a lot of things that we can agree on. Is one of those things as a point of agreement we could find that when Jesus leads us, we follow? Amen. When Jesus says go, do we go? When Jesus says serve, do we serve? When Jesus says love, do we love? And hear me, when Jesus says sacrifice, do we sacrifice? Because missions is not about waving the banner of Calvary Baptist Church. Missions is about waving the flag of Jesus Christ. And when you wave the flag of Jesus Christ, 
what you're saying is, this church is not my own. This life is not my own. This ministry is not my own. I'm not in control. This church belongs to King Jesus. And his plans and his purposes are better than my plans and my preferences. And listen, on a Sunday morning, when you've got a speaker that has a slight resemblance to Super Mario. Okay, your laughter was a little bit too real on that, but we can talk about that later, okay? On a Sunday morning, when we've opened the word of God and we've had such amazing worship to open our hearts to the Lord in a time of confession and understanding his grace and forgiveness and then celebrating that in such beautiful corporate worship and now we've opened the word and this is the day of the week we've been waiting for to be able to have our souls poured into. It's amazing, amazingly easy to nod our heads to that and say amen. And what's wildly difficult is Monday through Saturday to live out that mission. Because the mission of God is multiplication. And I am convinced that the best way to multiply the kingdom of God in our day and age today, as biblically faithful as possible, is through church planning and multiplying more churches. And church planting costs the church something. More on that in a second. Point two. Remember, we're asking ourselves the question, is multiplication my mission? And we're looking at this text in Mark 6, and we're saying, okay, so here's point two then. When multiplication is my mission, Jesus maximizes my offering. Write that down, point two. When multiplication is my mission, Jesus maximizes my offering. Now, here's the story that maybe you knew. If you grew up like me, like I said in church, remember the, do you guys, maybe you guys still, do you guys have flannel graphs still somewhere in this church? Is it the flannel graphs? Do you remember that? Man, I remember Miss Rose Burhanke taught me, um, how, how awesome of a name is, last name is Burhanke, by the way. I haven't said that name in a long time, but, but Miss Rose would teach us Bible stories in this blue flannel graph, and they had, you know, like, Jesus would walk out, and it's like, bang, 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 right? And I remember her teaching this story, and, and like, listen, we, flannel graphs are awesome, and if that's, like, if you're using that, if you're teaching that, man, that's amazing. Here's the only problem that I've got with it. At some point, if we're not careful, we start thinking that these stories are like fairy tales, right? Peter saw it. Peter experienced it. The, the apostles were amazed by it. Mark wrote it down, but ultimately Jesus did it. And we're not talking about a fairy tale in Mark 6. We're talking about the day in history on earth that Jesus Christ performed this miracle. Here it is in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all towns, and they got there ahead of time. They saw the disciples, and they saw Jesus coming, and what'd they do? All the sick and all the people that want to get healed, they ran in front of the preacher because unlike today in first century world, early church, the church showed up early. 
pray about that, ask for the conviction of the Lord. I'll let Pastor Dan or Trevor or Matt hit on that later. 34, keep going. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, let's talk about this for a second. How awesome do you think it was to hear Jesus teach? Do you think this is a moment where you're like, he's going, and you're like, oh, he's kind of rambling a little bit, isn't he? Ooh, land the plane, Jesus. Whoa, whoa. I don't think I would have said that. Like you, I don't think it was one of those sermons, do you? And, and, and he's preaching in such a way, he's got such a command of not just the crowd, but he's got a command of the, I mean, obviously the material. He kind of wrote it, right? I mean, time flies by and people are like, this is amazing. What happens? 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, listen, this is a desolate place. We're in the middle of nowhere, and the hour is now late. Jesus, send them away and go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Two things about this. One, can you imagine being the disciple that was like, Jesus, um, I think you might have gone a little long, right? Do you think they were like, like Peter and John are like, Okay, that's my job. Okay, uh, Jesus, can you maybe so? And then I also love how uh, fiscally responsible they are, right? Everyone's hungry. They're all here. Send them all away so they can buy their own food, all right? Because I don't want to be responsible for it. They keep going now. Verse 37, but he being Jesus answered them and says, will you give them something to eat? Now, in the Greek, you can't see this here in the English, but uh, in the Greek, right after the word eat, you can hear, uh, there's actually a gulp from the disciples, right? Will you feed them? Huh? What, there's f- and, and they said to him, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? By the way, how much is, it, is one denarii? How much is one denarii? Anybody have a study Bible? This is, the t- this is your time, man. If you've got a study Bible, look down, glance down. Don't look too long because then people will know that you're cheating. Look down. How, long's, uh, how much is a denarii worth? A day's work. Okay, and, and, and what are we gonna, how much is it going to cost, by the way? What's it say? 200 denarii. Oh, over half a year's wage? On sourdough? Is that what you want me to do, Jesus? And can you kind of hear a little bit of defiance, by the way? I love how Mark's not like calling anybody out, like, but who do we think it was? It's Peter, right? Like, like come on. That's like one of the first questions I'm going to ask when I get there. Peter is the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, and this is insert foot for sure. Jesus, 38, he said, how many loaves? Oh, so, sorry, 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 don't go there yet. 37, you want us to buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And then Jesus says another furiating question, well, how many loaves do you have? Okay, so again, how many people are at this teaching right now? Okay, you're close. Because in the first century, they would have only, wrongly by the way, but they would have only counted heads of household. 
So it's not 5,000 people. It's actually 5,000 families. Think about it, 5,000 blankets on the hillside with multiple people on the blankets, okay? So it's at it's minimum 5,000. So the need's even greater than what the story, uh, the title of the story in our New Testament Bible uh, makes us uh, allude to here. And, and Jesus is like, well, how much, how much food do they have? So who, who's in charge of this now? We have to find out how much bread do we have? So uh, 5,000 blankets. So, okay, so um, I'll play the disciples and you play uh, the people. Ready? Are you ready? Give me a thumbs up if you're ready. I don't want to lose you. Okay, that's pretty good. This side's with me. You guys are like, he wasn't looking at me, so I don't have to raise my finger. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, ready? Uh, walk over to the blanket. Do you have any food? No. Do you have any food? No. Do you have any food? No. This is getting kind of annoying, Pastor. I wish that you wouldn't. Do you have any food? Four, four thousand, nice try, because I don't think it was guy four. 4,999 times do you have food until one kid's like, well, my mom always packs me a lunch. <laughs> like everywhere I go. <laughs> okay, and, and, and by the way, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if they had food and they were hungry... I bet that they wouldn't be hungry, right? We're asking people, we know that they're hungry. Do you have any food? No, dummy, that's why I'm hungry. Because I don't have food. But then what I also love, do you think, I mean, it tones everything, right? Tones everything. Finally, they find some food. <laughs> Middle of 38. And when they had found out, they said we have Five pieces of bread, five pieces of bread, and two fish. Now, do you think when they brought to Jesus and they were like, hey, 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 we found it. Good news. It's here. We've, we found the five pieces of bread and the, and the two fish. We got it. No problem. Or they're like, whatever. Told you. Do you think that happened? I like to think it didn't, but again, Peter, we'll see. Now we know what he's about to do, but I want to ask a question. Why does he do it? Who, who here thinks, theology test, who here thinks that Jesus at any point while he was teaching could have snapped his fingers and the thousands upon thousands of people in that crowd could have been satisfied right there? Could that have happened? Yeah. Could, could they... Could, could Jesus even had not just satisfied their hunger, but given them the most contentment through any food that he had ever, like, has ever been designed at any second through a miraculous work? Could that have happened? Yep. Could have happened for sure. He could have blinked. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have said, Walakazam, and it would have happened. But that's not how God works. God wants your offering. God wants your sacrifice. God wants you and me and us to be able to go with the thing in the moment that we think we need most 
and to lay it at his feet and say, we trust you with this more than we trust me with this. In the work of church planning, do we believe that God could snap his fingers and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people elected by God before the, pre, the pre-dawning of time could come to a saving knowledge of faith? Could that happen? Sure. Absolutely. And will it? No. Because God has not ordained it to work that way. Because we are called to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We are called to be so overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can't hold it in ourselves. That the overflow of the love of God and the grace of God and the compassion of God is not something that we simply store up so we can have greedily more and more of it. It is given to us. Why? Give it away. To multiply it out. And to send it away. Why would God do that? If you're a note taker, write this down. Inside this point, I have three reasons why God makes us give. Three reasons why God makes us give. Why does God make us give? Here's the first reason God makes us give. Because true worship costs us something. True worship costs us something. Write this reference down for Bible study later this week, 2 Samuel 24, 24. It's a story of King David going, he's gonna buy all the material to be able to make an altar. And David at this point in his life is king and he goes to the People's Do It Center or what's, what's the hardware store in normal? Lowe's? Menards? Y'all have crooked two-by-fours down here, huh? Come to Monmouth. We cut down trees ourselves. All right? So, like, David goes to this hardware store to buy all the material for the altar. And what's the owner of the store do? I can't charge you for this. You're the king. You're the king. I can't. No, 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 no. It, It's yours. It's on the house. Please, 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 please. And what does David say? No, 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 no. I'm going to pay for it because it's not worship to God unless it costs me something. True worship to the Lord always costs us something. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's our sin. Most of the time it's our comfort. Sometimes it's our preference. A physical representation of it is our finances. But, but it, it, true worship throughout Scripture always costs us something. Who sacrificed in Mark 6? I mean, do you think with a minimum of 5,000 people, most of them hungry, that that boy could have sold that bread and those fishes on eBay for a mint? Man, supply and demand, and he's the king right now. And what'd he do? Here you go. Here you go. That's the first reason why God makes us give, because true worship costs something. Second, God makes us give Because he wants us to know before he wants to do something through us, he wants to do something in us. God wants us to know that before he wants to do something through us, he wants to do something in us. If I were to, on a scale of one to ten, um, list the level of faith the disciples exercise in front of Jesus in this story, it wouldn't be a high number. Are you with me on that? 
Because they're first, they didn't go to Jesus and were like, hey, Jesus, hey, you should do a miracle and feed everyone. What do they say? Hey, Jesus, tell them to go to Burger King. Tell them to get some food. Tell them to go where they should go. This is where they should get some food. Go, have them find a worldly answer to a worldly problem. What, what God did through the miracle of the son here in Mark 6, it's not just feed 5,000 families. It was build the faith of 12 disciples. And to build the faith of those people around him too that he fed. And then what did they do after that? Man, can you imagine what you would be like if you were one of those 5,000 families? Would you ever doubt Jesus again? Sadly, you would, and so would I, but not because of how sufficient he is, how broken we are. But it'd still be amazing. In the work of church planning, before God wants to do something through you and through your church, he first wants you to do something in you and inside your church. And let me just tell you something. I know that God has been at work at Calvary Baptist Church for decades, and I'm so grateful for that. We replanted our church in Monmouth, Illinois, seven years ago, and it's, um, it's been hard work. It's been hard, hard work. And I want you to know that you have a blessing of a church who's been blessed by leaders for multiple decades that are so faithful to God's word. Because there are churches every single day that close its doors that will never open again. At some point, they got off track. Before God wants to multiply the church by church planning, he wants to do some, a work inside the hearts and minds of the church people here right now. I don't know what that thing is. And I don't know even if your elders or your pastors or this amazing staff know what that is yet. But I do know that God will be faithful to show you at some point. And my plea to you is when God shows you what he wants to do in you, don't back away from it. Lean in. Because his blessing is just around the corner. Third reason that God wants you to give. Third reason that God makes us give. First, because true worship costs something. Third, because before God wants to do something through us, he wants to do something in us. And third, he wants to remind us that our things, our things, our things, are his things. Like, that boy... <laughs> was it a coincidence that the kid brought a snack lunch? Like a lunchable to this thing? Is that, is that a, is that a, what a coincidence? Do you read that and go, that is so bizarre. What are the chances? Oh, God knew that. Are you kidding me? God ordained that. God's sovereign over that. That's God's thing. I'm most challenged with this in my own life thinking through, uh, Trevor said that I've, I've got six daughters. Uh, God has graced Rebecca and I with six daughters. And I love, I love being a daddy. Like the, when they're little babies, I'm a little awkward. I'm kind of like Chris Farley, like, a, like I'm kind of like all over the place. So like babies scare me. I don't want to break anything or, or whatnot. Um, and then, when, but when they get older 
and like the wrestling age, rolling around age, laugh at daddy age, like that's, like put me in coach, I'm ready to play. Like, that, like I'm super excited about that. And then we're, our oldest is 16 now, um, and uh, we're entering in the teenage years, which are super, those are easy by the way, but um, <laughs> like having, having six children, what God has shown me is that um, they're, they're at different levels and need different things to be able to grow in the right direction. And the same daddy that I needed to be in their life when they were five isn't the same daddy they need me to be when they're 16. Like case in point, I, I firmly believe that I was ready for my daughter to drive away with her license until I saw the taillights and I was like, what? And I'm not a proponent of a Christian bubble, but that moment I was like, bring me the bubble. We're doing the bubble thing right now, okay? And, and, and <laughs> in that moment, what God had to remind me of is that before, and this, is like a, this isn't like a hand slap. This isn't like a bad news thing. This isn't a disappointment to AJ. This is a grace of God to AJ. That before my daughters are ever mine, they're his. And that is a beautiful truth. So the things of this earth that we cling on to and we hold on to and we say, it must be this way, I demand that it be this way, what God does in those moments to cause us, to save us rather, from an idolatrous heart is he lessens our grip by reminding us those things aren't ours. And believe it or not, a temptation that a successful church that has kingdom impact for decades upon decades upon decades can have is to believe that we serve a church instead of remembering that we serve the Lord. His plans and purposes are for multiplication. His plans and purposes are for the nations to hear the gospel. His plans and purposes are to remind us the church belongs to him. So is multiplication my mission? Well, ask yourself this. Is Jesus your example? Second question, is Jesus maximizing my offering that I'm giving him? And then here's the third point. When multiplication is my mission, Jesus exceeds my expectations. When multiplication is my mission, Jesus exceeds my expectations. Such an awesome part here. Look at 43. Um, Back up a little bit, 42. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. How awesome is that? They were like, it's a miracle. He kept pulling out fish and pulling out bread and pulling out fish and pulling out bread, and they're like, no more. I had an experience a couple, a couple of days ago. Uh, we had a men's conference in Chicago yesterday, and the night before Friday, we, we took some of our guys up, leaders up, to be able to have like a fun night. Have you ever heard of this place called Fogo de Chao? Okay, I didn't know this, but uh, the uh, Brazilian uh, word for heaven is Fogo de Chao. <laughs> okay? It is a restaurant that gives you all of the medium rare steak you can eat. They give you a, a card, green card, red card. Okay? And if you want more steak, which, duh, 
green. And when you're full, wuss, red. And I'm around nine other guys, so we're like, well, one of us is going to the hospital. Like, right? Put on a show. Some, we're all leaving with sombreros. And we're, our pictures are going to be on the wall, right? Like, this is going to be an unbelievable time. And we ate, and we ate, and we ate. And this is like what, then they're all eating fish, and they're eating bread, and this is amazing. And they were all content. And at the time that they were content, did Jesus go, all right, that's enough. We got it. Good. What'd he do? More, 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 12 baskets extra. Why does he do that? Because Jesus met our wildest expectations is that Jesus could have taken five pieces of bread and two fish and feed over 5,000 people. But what blows us away, what doesn't even enter our minds, is there'd be leftovers. The idea of church planning on paper, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We're, we're a church of 225 on a good day. Sorry, that was a senior pastor number. 200 on a good day. We've helped plant eight churches. Does that make sense? That does not make sense. We've been helped, we've helped be part of planting eight churches. Some internationally, some nationally, some even in our own state. Some not super far away from us. We've sent teams to be part of these churches. Do you know who signs up to be part of the church plant team? Your best people. Like, I, I was excited. God, I want to plant churches. I want people to go. I want to be, be used by you. And I wrote a list of who you can call to that work. Um, these are the problem makers. So I'll just pray for their new pastor. Father God, we... That's, that, that's not who goes. That's not who becomes church plant teams. That's not who becomes missionaries. That's not who, even through training, becomes pastors to be able to plant new churches. Do you know who goes? The people that understand that multiplication is the mission of their life, period. That's who goes. And, and those Sundays where we pray and we send off, can I just tell you there's this flesh, like there's a fleshly part of my heart that's like, you still feel called? You do? Good, good. Mm -hmm. And there's another part of my heart that goes, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to exceed these expectations. I can't wait. Because every single time God does something in another person's life that exceeds what I even thought God could do and that just shows how much little faith I have. My prayer is that church planning would become part of the amazing missions legacy that Calvary Baptist Church has already had. And may he continue to use this church as a beacon for the gospel in normal surrounding areas throughout Illinois and the Midwest into America throughout the nations. And I pray that God will be at work in your own hearts to be part of those works as well. Let's pray. God, 
your mission is multiplication because your mission is to multiply your fame and your glory and your renown. So God, whatever you need from us to make that happen, would you give us a heart that would say yes? Would you give us a heart that would trust you? Father, where there's fear about the unknown of what the next steps might take in becoming a multiplying disciple maker and even a multiplying church, God, I pray that you would bring faith. God, thank you for the way in which you've allowed this church to be an amazing beacon for your gospel for so many years. God, would you continue that work and would you allow its impact for the kingdom to be not just increased, but to be multiplied throughout multiple churches. God, thank you for your word and your spirit that ministers to us through it. It's in Christ's beautiful and powerful name that we pray. And if you agree with that prayer, church, join me in saying, amen, amen.